Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Pickles and Vodka Podcast. I'm your host, Christina. I usually make these intros um, like five minutes long to kind of give you guys an idea of what's going on in my life, but I'm going to keep this one a little shorter because I just got back from my friend's house watching the Game of Thrones season eight premiere, uh, which by the way, if you're into Game of Thrones, hit me up so I can talk to you about it because I have so many feelings about this episode, but um, I'm kind of tired. I have to be up early, so I'm going to keep this short and sweet. I've been doing really well the last few weeks. Of course, I've had my ups and downs, but I've been socializing a little more and just working with my therapist to incorporate more positivity into my life. For the first time, I'm finally feeling like there's an end to all this in sight and life doesn't have to suck. And that's been pretty nice. This week's episode features my friend Diane, who I met online back when I started getting involved on Reddit and seeking support for my mental health issues there. We were actually both involved in this like Reddit secret Santa activity and she drew my name from the list and sent me the most adorable care package with like a ton of candles and a little herb garden and a a sign that says podcast recording underway like it's adorable and I can't wait for you guys to hear our conversation she talks a lot about her experiences with being transgender as well as suffering from an eating disorder and I had asked a bunch of you to send in any questions you have on those topics and I want to give a special shout out to Ella who sent not one, but three really great questions about it that we will address in the interview. So thanks, Ella. You rock. I hope you guys know that you can send me questions about absolutely anything mental health related or even not mental health related, to be honest. And I will not only answer you as soon as I can, but I will give you a shout out on the podcast, which come on, what are you doing with your life? That's like the highest you can go. So with that said, I'm going to jump right into our interview. I hope you guys are having a great Monday. And as always, I appreciate every one of you for the support you've shown for the podcast. Stay tuned after this episode to hear about more ways you can get involved. Here's my conversation with Diane. Hope you guys enjoy. Oh my God, it's so weird to hear your voice. I you love too, it. even though I've been like, you know, listening to it <laughs> a lot. I don't know. That's always creepy for me. Like when people say that they've heard my voice, I'm like, oh yeah, that's right. You have. How are you doing? How are you feeling? I'm good. I was worried last night that I was getting the flu because my roommate has it and she actually has gone to the hospital twice now. Oh shit. But um, I seem to be good. Also, what is your accent? Like where are you it's from? It's kind of weird because like, you know, I grew up in California, New England, and then old regular England. Oh, man. And then Virginia. So it's kind of like just all over the place. Throw in like being transgender and like not really liking your voice. It's just, I don't know. So you're Diane. Mm-hmm. And I'm 25 now. I'm in intensive outpatient here in Arizona. And it's going pretty well. Nice. How, how long have you been in that program? This is my third week of IOP. And prior to that, I had four weeks of inpatient 
And what led to that inpatient stay? So I got sober a little over a year ago, but I didn't really get out of my PTSD and depression. And so like the actual cause of it was a suicide attempt late last year. Okay. Congrats on the sobriety, by the way. Thank you. That's a huge accomplishment. And it's good now because like I'm actually in, you know, a program and it's actually, it feels like sobriety instead of just abstinence, which is what it was before, to be honest. How would you distinguish the two? I consider, you know, abstinence to just not be using drugs or drinking, but um, still being pretty sick, kind of still being like a para-alcoholic. Like um, mentally, you mean? Yeah. Like having the thoughts and everything. Just not really being with it. And um, I guess sobriety for me is like more emotional and being like reconnecting my myself to everything oh, i sound like a hippie no I, I, I like that you said that because i think a lot of people just think sobriety is all about not drinking but when you're, in reality there's a lot more that goes into mm-hmm. it than that and if you're just getting through life like white knuckling it not drinking it, it that's gonna be a shitty life i think yeah and it was and that's what i was doing I also feel that way about like abstinence versus sobriety because this go around, I'm also in EDA. What does that stand for? Sorry, Eating Disorders Anonymous and like a sort of sex and love addiction group too. And so, you know, when your drug is like food or sleeping with people, it's not something you can be completely abstinent from. Like, you know, it's not... I can't just stop eating. And so like it's given me like a better sense of like how to find moderation and like to be clear, like for me, moderation with my drug of choice and with alcohol was none of it. But I still needed to be moderate and in control and all that jazz. Yeah. Balance. <laughs> yeah. So there's so much to unpack with your story. Like I don't even really know where to begin. Do you want to talk about growing up? All right. So I'm a Pisces, and I was born in 1994 in California. And I lived there until I was about eight. This was probably the happiest time of my life, although it was still pretty, pretty difficult. When I was that age, my dad was in the Navy, and... um. In therapy a couple weeks ago, I added it up, and he was gone for four of those eight years. Oh, wow. So, like, I didn't see him much. Uh, He's a lot better now, but he had, you know, rage issues, some physical violence from him and my mom. Did you have any siblings? Yeah. I have one sister. She's um, four years older than me. Okay. So you said the first eight years were the happiest despite the fact that your dad was away so much? Yeah, I think it was just more innocent and less stressful. Like, to be clear, like, most of my memories are pretty miserable, but, um, you know, less miserable. So, yeah, like, I was moderately happy there, but I had a lot of memories of, like, wanting to join gymnastics with my sister 
and like having to play boy sports, which to my dad meant roller hockey and like like little league baseball stupid shit like that yeah and just like being punished a lot for like playing with my sister and i don't know the typical trans stuff i'm not really familiar with a lot of the typical trans stuff and also my family was a little different like my brothers played with us all the time but they didn't receive any negative consequences Mm -hmm. so feel free to elaborate like on any of this stuff I I think I just took it to a degree too far in my dad's eyes. Um, It was mostly my dad who objected to it. But just with, like, wanting to always be, like, God, I was so extra. Just, like, always wanting to be, like, a princess and playing with my sister and, like, her dolls and braiding hair. and... And your parents, but mostly your dad, was just not okay with that. He was pretty outwardly, I mean, I don't want to say homophobic, but he was pretty bigoted at that time. He grew up with all sisters, like five sisters. Oh, interesting. And he was the youngest of them all. So um, he's a lot better now, like like 100, complete 180. So, um, you know, I was eight and moved to Rhode Island. I was molested there um which was you know difficult was it someone you knew Mm -hmm. it was the older sibling of one of my friends um and did you tell anybody after it happened no not until therapy well so what was your immediate reaction in the aftermath of that i kind of pushed it down i I think I knew that it was wrong, but I didn't realize that it wasn't my fault. Like I was, I just like had too much shame and fear to really speak up about it. And that was uh, when you were eight? Mm Mm-hmm. Luckily, I only lived there a year and then moved to England. And that's where like bullying really got horrendous for me. I had a crush when I was about 11 years old and it was kind of like a mutual thing but so like a lot of times we would talk and hold hands and stuff like that like we're literally only 11 years old yeah people found us holding hands once and like talking and you know that's when like everyone started with the whole gay thing so so this was a boy but you mm-hmm. you would identify had you identified as a girl yet or like were you still kind of figuring that stuff out um internally but not like to didn't... anyone else okay. yeah during that time i was still like struggling with it because i wasn't aware of what transgender was so i was trying to you know determine if like everyone feels the way i do or if you know every gay boy feels the way I do I wasn't sure but yeah I moved back home from England for junior high which is you know like the most wonderful time to (laughs) come to a new school and um really just like the whole homophobic bullying thing kept going throughout junior high and high school 
I kind of withdrew from all social interactions back then. And I had online friends that actually was out to as trans and um, didn't really have any, any friendships or anything in the real life. So this whole time you, you were educating yourself online and finding mm-hmm. people who felt similarly. Yeah, absolutely. And that's sort of when like my self-harm and my eating disorder also came about. I actually lied, I guess, earlier when I said I had no friends. Um, I had one, and I learned self-harm from her, actually. Okay. And that's sort of how I started doing it. I think being, like, a social recluse through my teenage years was definitely, like, detrimental, like, in terms of discovering my identity and honestly like keeping me alive I think it saved me there but it did take a very long time to catch up with not having had you know like regular teenage interactions right was your sister aware of all this stuff going on with you no we're no longer close okay she is very religious Um, oh shit catholicism is her is her choice of religion we weren't really raised this way. Like my mom is pretty much agnostic and my dad is like the kind of Catholic that goes twice a year, Christmas and Easter. So she, for the past um, really 10 years or so since she's been an adult, she hasn't had any friendships or socialization outside of the church. So we're very different as you might imagine. So you said that your eating disorder also started in junior high. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm looking up a message someone sent me on Peach about being trans and like the issues with food you have. This person said that they felt like as a trans person, their issues with food and their transness are intertwined. What are your thoughts on that? I think they're linked for me. I mean, like to be clear, I, I still think I would have an eating disorder where I cisgender because I was kind of like made to feel shame for my appetite as a kid. Like it just felt like food was this thing that you could never get enough of. And like, I was never overweight or anything, but like I always had this insatiable appetite, which led to like binging and private and being secretive about my food. For me, like it definitely was also linked to being trans I didn't start puberty until about 15, which was like a blessing, but um, pretty late for a boy. So yeah, like I had a lot of distress there and I basically had heard that like if you were underweight, it can stall that. And um, just to like maintain that sort of femininity that was, that I was losing through puberty. That's when I just started restricting pretty hardcore just to try and stay like more androgynous yeah but once puberty finally did hit what was that like you know it was mixed i'm just kidding it was fucking awful (laughs) um i don't know it was just really really horrible like i even before that like my body didn't feel right but it felt like i could 
arrest it and fix it, you know? Yeah, like you had a little bit of control at least. You know, like I still had massive dysphoria, but heightened like a thousand percent. Like I never um, had facial hair, but like I get one or two like hairs on my chin that I have to pluck. It's really odd, like, all this time, and it's still just, like, two hairs. But um, I just, like, take care of that every, like, every week or so. But, like, just noticing, like, little things like that and my voice starting to crack and deepen was just really, really distressing. Um, Yeah, I actually um, had some suicide attempts as a 15 year old because of that. And did Um, your parents know? They were aware of the level of distress, but I was out to a lot of people at school, but not to my parents. Um, You know, I definitely think they knew something was off about me, like in regards to being LGBT, but um, there was a lot of denial there. Like um, I remember my dad being like, you know, like, just cheer up, like, mental illness isn't real, depression is just something you gotta snap yourself out of, that sort of thing. So, like, I never went into therapy or anything until I was older. So, um, you were in Virginia at the time, after Mm -hmm. England? Yep. Okay, and did you graduate high school in Virginia? Yeah. Towards the towards my senior year of high school, I was kind of at that point with depression where you had no plans for any future beyond like maybe a week from now. So I really had no long term plans at all. Like just this really awful thing that depression does to you. But it just you know, like I never thought I would live to be sixteen and then when I was sixteen I never thought I'd graduate and I never thought I would be 21 and now 25. Like, I've come to realize, like, I have to live for decades more to come. And, like, when I said that, my therapist was like, nah, bitch, you get to live for decades more to come. I was literally just having the same conversation with my friend Olivia, who I met in inpatient when we were both 17. Mm -hmm. Like, how fucking weird is it that we're, like, 26 now? And we still don't really know what we're doing with our lives. But also, look at us. We're 26, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, we've made it this far, and we might feel like fuck-ups. But, like, 17-year-old us could never have even imagined us getting to this point. Absolutely. 17-year-old me would not believe that, like, life was possible. So what did you do after high school? My senior year, I came out to my family and started taking hormone replacement therapy. So how Um, how did that all happen? I told my dad first, not because I thought he would take it better, but I don't know why I was more comfortable telling him first, to be honest. But um, I basically, it took like 30 minutes to get the words out. And then he kind of acted the next day as if nothing happened. And... He was really just honestly in denial for a little under a year. And so I kind of had to reiterate it a few times. Like, no, Dad, like, I'm your daughter now. I started taking hormones in that time, unbeknownst to my parents. 
a couple weeks after I told him, I told my mom as well. I'm kind of ashamed of this, but I told her over a text message. I just got like a pretty plain response. Like it was, you know, it was like wishing you the best. I'll try to understand you type of thing. It's just that I didn't have the heart to tell her in person. Now it's fear mostly, but it's something I regret nowadays. Those were the only two family members I ever came out to. I never came out to my sister. Like she found out from my parents and all of my extended family found out from them. I kind of just, you know, like I didn't handle this well. I just, I just retreated from everyone. It's not like there's a guidebook that says this is how to come out to your family, especially yeah, when you're true. dealing with depression and other shit. It was tough growing up because like I didn't have any positive transgender role models or anything. Like we had the freaking um, Silence of the Lambs and media like that. I didn't have any positive representation until a year or two after I started transitioning coming out so it was like more underground back then once you started the hormones did you notice an immediate do you you feel like it alleviated some of your mental health issues I feel like it alleviated some but it also sort of exacerbated others because I went I went to away to college uh, right after high school and I was only out to a few friends for that first semester the start of my second semester I came out to the whole universe but um mental changes from the hormones combined with you know all of the other depression and stuff was really overwhelming at first but I think it definitely alleviated my depression and my body dysmorphia body dysphoria too coming out was complicated um everyone kind of knew already because of like gossip and such once you told like a half dozen people it kind of got around i think i posted on facebook at like four in the morning one night i just kind of put it out there and pressed send before i had any chance to delete it because this was something i had done like dozens of times before like the amount of times like I wrote out coming out letters in high school and even like in junior high and then like tore them up so I knew I had to just write it and send it and then like deal with the fallout and it was awkward I think a lot of people were afraid of like offending me or being on PC in some way but it it mostly went mostly went okay i just you know got rid of all the people who didn't take it well so what how would you prefer people to react to that because i think when you grow up in families like ours a lot of people aren't aware or like they Mm -hmm. don't know how to respond so like when people are afraid of being you know anti-pc or whatever are you Mm -hmm. would you rather they just come out and say what they're thinking or like are you touched when people try not to offend you i found that Nowadays, when I come out to people, it's usually, you know, like I don't come out to people who are assholes and I don't like, right. so, because I don't stay friends with them. But, um, nor should you. Most people are pretty well meaning and pretty, are not like meaning to cause harm. 
in my experience. And so if they ask something in kind of a dumb way or say something that would be, you know, like considered on PC, I'm not fussed by it at all. Do you feel an um, obligation to educate them or, or do you kind of have to set a boundary like that's not my responsibility? I definitely set a boundary there with some circumstances, but I've noticed like when I come out to people who have no idea what transgender is, I'm like more lenient of like explaining, I guess, like my history to them and everything. But when I'm coming out to people who know what transgender is, they just don't know that I'm transgender, I have much more of a boundary up. And I'm just like, that's all I need to say. So you posted that coming out message on Facebook at 4 a.m. What was that like afterwards? Um, I woke up in the morning kind of like having forgotten that I did it, but um, got like a dozen messages or like private messages or so and some comments and stuff. It was mostly okay. Like I, I kind of hid from everyone after that and just kind of kind of scared after that. But after a couple days, I started going to class again and like reintroducing myself to everyone, I guess. Was um, it a pretty small college? Yeah. So, like, once everyone knew, everyone knew. There was no real hiding. Yeah, pretty much. And that didn't change until really, like, my junior and senior years. Like, once the people had changed out enough. And I also, like, changed my major. So I had, like, a new class group. Like, once that had changed out, I think less people knew. But another thing in my experience is that, like, college-age people are way better at, like, reading you as trans than, like, older people. Most still figured it out on their own. I didn't hide. Like, I still... Coming out's not, like, this event. It's, like, a continuous process. So, like, I would still you know, be out to people, but just not immediately so. And for a while, those, like, first years of being trans, like, my eating disorder almost, like, kind of went into remission. Like, it just genuinely wasn't bothering me as much. Why do you think that was? Well, I had started drinking and using drugs, which kind of made me not need to be anorexic anymore. But I think also it was just the burden being lifted. So do you think you just kind of replaced it with the drinking and the drugs in a way? Yeah, it was like a cross addiction to try and like self-soothe. When I got sober a little over a year ago, I went like immediately headfirst back into my eating disorder. And so that was another reason why I didn't really consider it to be like sobriety because I was still, I don't know, my body dysphoria. um, So like in the trans community, I believe dysphoria is the gender body discomfort and like body dysmorphia is the ED body discomfort. I'm glad you said that because I was going to ask you what the difference was when you mentioned it earlier. Yeah. So like my body dysphoria, the gender one, has pretty much always been present. But during that like blissful couple of years in college, like after transition, I didn't really have 
body dysmorphia in regards to weight. Like I, I mean, in some ways, like I felt like I was out of control because I was gaining weight. Like I was gaining probably like 10 pounds a year, maybe 15 pounds a year. And it just felt like something I wasn't in control of, but also something that wasn't bothering me at the time. Because it sounds like you were in control in other ways, like you were embracing your identity in ways that you hadn't been able to before, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. When I was 20, I had gender reassignment surgery, and um, that helped a lot with dysphoria. I don't know, kind of is another thing that sort of saved my life, but that was another thing which caused me to not feel like I needed the eating disorder at the time. What was that process like? Like, were you well, scared? Yeah, I was pretty scared. My um, surgeon had, like, a very long waiting list, so I was very um, frustrated that it took so long, you know, like, pretty much up until... I got there. Like, it just felt like it would almost never happen because of how long it had taken. Again, I don't know much about this kind of thing, but 20 seems really young, and I'm glad you got it done that young. But it, it, would you say that's typical for trans people? I think it's typical nowadays, maybe early to mid-20s. I don't know. In some ways, like, I feel like I'm kind of on the cusp of two like, types of being trans, because, like, I'm friends with people now that, like, came out in their mid-late 20s and people that came out as kids. And, like, I kind of in the middle. Like, so in some ways I identify with the people who came out as kids and some ways with the older crowd. I think it's on the younger side, I guess. I'm not sure, though. After you had the surgery... Like, mentally, how did that affect you? It was just, you know, like I didn't lose anything in the process except, like, the shame and paranoia. And it just gave me, like, a new sense of serenity and peace. It made me a lot more comfortable at school and um, in relationships. Um, I did want to touch on your relationships because it sounds like you have a lot of history there as well. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want um, to talk about that a little bit? So, yeah, I um, I had a lot of partners, but a few, like, romantic partners in college. I had, like, one ex that was pretty, pretty abusive, but not, like, physically, just in a, a sort of emotional way. He was kind of ashamed of dating a trans person, and so he kind of, like, kept me secret. It was kind of like, I don't know, at the time I thought it was the best thing I would ever get because I hated myself and all that, but um, it was unpleasant, but really wasn't that bad as far as neglectful relationships go. And currently, I am dating my girlfriend. Uh, We've been together for um, just under three years and lived together for a year and a half. And it is just a a good relationship. Yeah, we just met through um, a mutual friend and started taking an interest in each other. And that friend kind of felt jealous that they had 
introduced us to each other and we you know she felt like resentful for it but um yeah we met in person and started dating after a couple weeks and started like seriously dating after a couple of months and it's just been like really amazing it's it's really cool and it's tough being away from her right now you know because right now I'm in Arizona for treatment and she's back home in Virginia how has she uh, been supportive of all your issues while you've been together I'm ashamed to say that I sort of hid my eating disorder from her and kept her in the dark about that. But regarding like depression and obviously being trans, but regarding the mental distress of being trans, I was pretty open with her about it. And she was very supportive and still continues to be. She sounds like a gem. Yeah, she's a gem. A real mensch. Would you consider yourself bi? I didn't realize I was bi until I met her. I thought I was straight. And um, I don't remember like which side of the Kinsey scale is which, but um, I think I consider myself like more romantically interested in women nowadays and less so in men. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds about right. <laughs> Men. Men suck. Just kidding. <laughs> no, they suck. Leave it in. <laughs> so would you say when you met her, your eating disorder was in full swing again? It was kind of in remission. It was um, at that point not anorexia, but just occasional private binging and restricting, but I was maintaining like a average healthy weight and... Uh, you went sober from alcohol and drugs and you kind of relapsed into your eating disorder? Yeah, almost immediately. It's usually mm. how it works. Yep. It just feels like I'm playing whack-a-mole sometimes yeah. with my addictions and my process disorders. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so what what does treatment look like? First of all, what, what brought you to treatment in the first place and what's it looked like for you so a suicide attempt and suicidal ideation brought me to treatment my life really wasn't going anywhere good and um treatment's been pretty cool it's um i really had to surrender to surrender myself to the process because i thought i could do things my way and that you know, like, I'm special, this won't work for me. But, like, ever since giving up, like, I've really just been teaching myself how to live again. And um, it's, like, 12-step based, which is something I am have history with. What do you mean history with? Like, good history or bad history? Good history. Okay. I'm not, like, a zealot about it. I don't think it is, per se, like, the only way to, you know, be sober or be healthy but it's, it's been working for me. But I'm not like one of those kind of self-righteous people <laughs> that you'll occasionally find in AA. It's different for everybody, and it really depends on the type of people in treatment with you. And Yeah, and that's something that's been difficult for me is dealing with people who 
don't want to be in treatment and just kind of try to not like drag you down because that sounds really narcissistic like they're not intentionally trying to distract me from my healing but their disinterest is like a distraction for me and it's been I've had to put up some boundaries with people here so what's like your treatment plan as of today so it's about three hours a day of intensive outpatient with like some um, trauma-sensitive yoga and, you know, weekly meetings with the eating disorder therapist as well. My treatment goals are basically just to process my trauma and, like, relieve my anxiety and to just be able to go home and not have suicidal ideation what has that looked like for you addressing the trauma? Would you say that's been the root of all your other issues? It's or a yeah, root. It's, it's one of the main roots. Um, it's been, you know, difficult. The trauma therapy via EMDR. What's that? It stands for um, eye movement reprocessing desensitization. But it's basically a light bar with the pulsating light that goes left to right. And you track it with your eyes. And um, what this does is this activates the part of your brain that is active during REM sleep. And REM sleep is when you're able to like process your day and process trauma. But by doing this when you're awake, you have a more like guided experience with it and you know it's weird but it works and um some other forms of trauma therapy have been kind of outside of the comfort zone a little unorthodox but i have felt better my um triggers of trauma have gotten less intense less severe i'm sort of able to moderate myself better instead of going into a panic attack it's been really good I'm very fortunate to be here I think it is an ongoing process what a lot of people try to do is pinpoint all your problems on this one thing but it's never that easy and that's why like I'm hesitant to blame you know everything on trauma or right. every everything on being transgender or on my addictions like the amount of fucked upness that I am is a pretty deep pool. Like everything can contribute somewhat. Yeah. So do you, when do you get to go home? It'll be around mid to late June. It's a 12 week IOP treatment. Are you excited? Nervous? A little bit of both? A little bit of both. I am very nervous to go back home to certain people, certain circumstances but um at the same time like I'm really feeling like more confident every day that I'll be able to handle it um so I guess in a sense I'm excited as well that's awesome I'm I believe in you yeah is there anything else you want to add just like the questions from people I don't know how many you got but do you know Ella yeah on peach the main question she had was about the effect transitioning has had on your mental health, like what did it help and what didn't it help? It kind of helped 
everything, but it didn't help everything 100%. So, like, made my depression a little bit better. But, unfortunately, at the time, I believed falsely that I was not depressed underneath being trans. I thought it was only due to trans to my being transgender. So you thought transitioning would kind of be like a band-aid? I thought it would be like a cure-all for yeah. most of my uh, mental disorder behavior. And it really wasn't. You know, like I found myself at 2021 20, with most of the same problems as before, except as a woman. <laughs> but it gave me a lot of strength and courage to confront things and really just like before transitioning is so like mentally exhausting every day it's hard to even remember how bad it was but almost every interaction put you in a worse place mentally yeah it's a terrible way to live do you ever get misgendered now not really um, strangely, I never get misgendered on the phone, even though I feel like my voice is pretty, pretty masculine. I don't think so. In person, like, people can sometimes tell I'm trans, but they never, like, think I'm a man. It's kind of weird, because I'm at a sober living house right now. It was scary at first, like, going into inpatient with, like, into a woman's group and, like, building you know, like I was scared I would be triggering to people or upsetting. Um, Why triggering? You know, I had it in my head that like me being transgender meant me being male, which meant me being a threat to people. Oh, got you. That's a line of thought that I still struggle with a lot sometimes. But um, when I was in inpatient, it was mostly people my age and younger and, like, I honestly had no problems. Um, I made some very close friendships and met, like, just a really wonderful group of women. You still te- you text a lot of them now, right? Like, when you're struggling? Oh, yeah. It can be hard to yeah. do to reach out during For those sure. times. I'm glad that you have that support system in place. Yeah, it's really been incredible. But so on the other hand, my sober living house is um, a bit of an older crowd. So there's like three people in their 50s, I think one in their 60s. And then like my roommate, the one who went to the hospital last night for her flu, Uh she's like in her late 30s. And there's really only one other person my age. And I found that, like, with the older women, they haven't realized that I'm transgender. So when I, like, told a story and disclosed something about myself where, you know, like, it was kind of obvious that I was trans through what I was saying, Mm -hmm. I got a blank stare from my roommate. And I had assumed that she had known because I tend to just live life assuming everyone knows just to not be in a state of paranoia all the time. And so I, you know, had a realization and a little bit of fear that I'm living with these really wonderful women who are much older. 
and I had some, you know, hesitation. Like, what if they find out? What if they are not comfortable with me being present? But um, I just have to stay in the present. And, you know, in this moment, I'm pretty confident that if they were to know, they wouldn't mind because they've already come to know me. Like, I don't have an obligation, I feel like, to tell them. You know, I may at some point in the future, or, you know, like someone else may share it with them and they find out through another person, which is whatever. But it's like you said earlier, you don't have to, like, come out to everybody one-on-one, you know, it's not... Yeah, I've come to appreciate that it's really not my responsibility to disclose to the whole world, I guess. And I think, you know, as the times change, it's still an issue, but it's becoming less so. Yeah. Like people Honestly, are what's accepting. crazy to me is that they still don't know and that my roommate didn't know. I don't know, like that honestly just astounds me because I feel so insecure all the time and like feel, you know, like that I don't blend in with cis people but um maybe that's the dysphoria thinking though yeah for sure like how i think i'm fat yeah it's hard to see ourselves how other people see us but yeah so i would say like in conclusion just being trans like affects every part of my mental disorders but in small ways nowadays that i am post-transition and just living life um it isn't so detrimental. I'm lucky to have days where I don't really think about being trans that much, or I just kind of go through the day feeling pretty, what I assume to be like average, how cis people feel. Just like calm, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, you're just you. Yeah. Well, I hope your meeting goes well. Thank you. The rest of your day. I can't wait I to hope edit I don't this. Sound too terrible! Oh my god! <laughs> no, 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 no! It's fine. I'll make you sound right. good. Don't worry. You got me. Thank <laughs> you. It won't be that hard. All right. Well, bye. Bye. And don't be a stranger. This was really wonderful. Yes. To talk to you. I got your number. So. Yeah. Bye. Oh, bye. <laughs> Okay, as you guys can see, I'm hella awkward, but I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can follow Pickles and Vodka Podcast on Instagram, Twitter. Uh, The website is always the best way to get new episodes directly as they're published. It's www.picklesandvodkapodcast.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, hit me up via email, picklesandvodkapodcast at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message on any of the social media outlets that I just mentioned. Again, thank you guys so much for your support. I really want to continue to making this a safe place to just talk about your mental health in a way that's casual and sometimes awkward, but hopefully honest. (laughs) Uh, So with that said, I hope you guys have a great week. Bye!